Hello. Okay. I am Bob. I am actually uh, Pastor Brock's dad, <laughs> of all things. So anyway, so several years ago, Annette and I, we, uh, we were living in Upper Michigan, and I know that Pastor Brock has told you about 10 million times, I think he announces it every time he's up here, that he is from a small town in Upper Michigan, and yada, yada, he goes on and on about whatever. I'm not going to do that, but, but we were living there during this time, and it was actually when Pastor Brock and um, his sister Paige were here in the cities, and they were, they were attending college, and, and life was, life for uh, Annette and I, it was pretty good. We were super comfortable. Um, I was working as a as a full time de design engineer, which simply meant that that I designed things like um, uh, storefronts and teller lines at banks and reception counters and and kitchens and stuff like that. Part of my job was was trying to figure out um, how to build them, to take them back apart to rebuild them back in the, in the field. And um, it was kind of a stressful job because any mistake that, that I made could actually be our, go all the way to the point where it's installed. The people didn't, building it didn't know that it would have been a mistake. So if I didn't get the materials correct or I made a mistake on some design issue, it would be uh, it would be a pretty a pretty big deal, and it would be pretty bad if I made a mistake. So it was very stressful, but it was also fulfilling because you could always see you could always see the results of your effort. I could walk out into the shop and see what I had envisioned in my head um, to build. Does that make sense? So it was so it was fulfilling in that way, but but again, stressful. Uh, but I was also I was also a junior high uh, pastor at our church, and, and it was pretty easy. That one was pretty easy for me because the senior high pastor used to uh, write the messages, so he did all the research, and he did all, it, all that kind of stuff, and all I did was take the message, and I would reword it so I could preach it in my terminology and in my words, so it didn't take me that long. It was super easy for me. And Annette at that time was working full-time as the administrator of that church. And she loved her job, and she was very good at it. And we thought, and we thought for sure that we were right where God wanted us. We were comfortable. We were enjoying life. We were, we were doing work, and we were doing ministry together. We had relationships. It was totally awesome. And we thought it was at least for a while that this was going to happen. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that most of us in our lives here, in this room this morning, um, we had made plans for our lives, didn't we? I mean, we made plans. Maybe it was, maybe it was, was where I'm going to go to college. Maybe it was, what am I going to do after college? Maybe it was going to be, how am I going to retire? Or maybe it's going to be something like, what am I going to have for lunch? You know? I mean, so you're making plans all the time. And maybe some of those plans were long-range plans, like you're thinking, when am I going to have a kid, and what am I going to name it, and is it going to be big? You know, you're going through all these things in your head, and you're trying to plan your life. They're, they're big plans, and it's out there, but you're trying to fulfill them. Well, God had a plan. And in today's text, what we're going to talk about, um, um, let me stop right there for a second. 
Brock, Pastor Brock, okay, Brock is my son, so it's, it's kind of hard for me to always call him Pastor Brock. So, But Pastor Brock um, sits up, and he, he quite often tells you, I'm an expository preacher. Well, I'm not an expository preacher. I'm a topical preacher. So, so what the difference is, is, is an expository preacher will, will take a scripture has given a scripture or take a scripture, and then he will, he will write off of that. Whereas the topic, topic, you pick a topic, and then you find scripture to match that. That's easier for me in my mind than this. But I was given this scripture. So in today's text, it's Galatians 4, 4. But we're only going to do the first half of it. And it says, and it says, But when in God's plan, time had fully come, and God sent his son. So now before we actually get into that text, I want to back up here and I want, to, I want to see what's going on just prior to that. So in chapter 3, in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul is arguing um, the fact with the Galatians that God's promise to Abraham precedes and takes pride, priority over, that, over the religious law at that time. Now, the, the law was very strict. The religious law was so strict, and it was impossible. It was impossible for anyone to follow that law. You, if you followed it and you did it 100%, you would have to be perfect. And we know that the only perfect person ever to walk this earth was Jesus. So essentially, if you were to follow that law, you would have had to have been Jesus. Okay, so it was very strict. Um, so, so Paul is like, hey, 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 guys, listen up, man. He said, that law, that law, it served its purpose. It served its purpose. It taught us how to refrain from sin, but it still lacks that power. It lacks that power to, to free us from sin. And during that, that religious time where the law was it, that's why they had to sacrifice a bull or a calf or, or bring in their, their burnt offerings and, and whatever they had to do to, to cover their sin. And in today's, in today's Christian culture, um, I would, if they're butchering calves and stuff to sacrifice, we got some issues. But nowadays, we, we have Christ. We have Jesus to come. So, so he's saying, he's saying, listen, listen, guys, I'm telling you right now that, that through Christ, through Christ and his coming, we're set free. And that's true for everybody. He's saying that's not true just for you or just for the Jews or just for the Gentiles. That's true for everybody. And he said that, that we, are, we are one in Christ and we are heirs to God's promises. Now in chapter 4, chapter 4, he, he expands. He talks more about what it means about being an heir. And he says in, in verse 1, he says, Now what I mean when I talk about children and their guardians is this. As long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, even though he is the future owner and master of all of the estate. But he is under the authority of and of guardians and household administrators or managers until the date is set by his father when he is of legal age. So he's saying basically, even, even if you're an heir and you're a minor, if you're that heir and you're a minor, if you're an heir and you're young, 
He's not at any different level than a slave. That's what he's saying. And even though he owns everything, even though he legally owns everything, he still has to listen to those in authority. It goes on in verse 3. It says, so also we, whether Jews or Gentiles, we immature. We were kept like slaves under the elementary teachings of the world. So Paul says that, that when, when the Galatians or all the people were just children, they were under the absolute, the absolute power of that religious law. And then, and then when everything was ready, Christ came and he released that, that burden, you will, and he released it so people could live in freedom. So today what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to split this text. We're going to split this text into three parts. Um, so, so let's get started. We're going to start with the first portion of this, of this portion of, actually, this portion of the portion of the portion. So, so it starts out, but when in God's plan. So Jesus, he came at right the right time in God's redemptive plan, in God's plan, when the world was perfectly prepared, and he didn't come until, until that world was prepared for God's work. So, uh, so those, that were, those that were under that bondage, those that were, were under that control of that, that religious law, that they were beat down by it, they're thinking that this, this should have been a long time ago. They're thinking that, that Jesus was late. Um, but but Paul's, like, Paul's like, no, 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 no. I assure you, come on, people. I'm telling you right now that this is the perfect time, that this is God's plan. And God had this plan for almost 4,000 years. That plan was in the making for almost 4,000 years. Annette and I, we had a plan. We had a plan. Like I said, things were going super well for us. We were enjoying life, and, and we began to make this plan to sell our house. See, um, Annette, she had to drive. It was about a 30-minute drive from our house to the church, and she did it five days a week and on Sunday. So six times a week, she was driving 30 minutes um, to church, and I had to take that drive about three or four times a week. And you might think, hey, you know, well, 30 minutes, that's not a big deal. But what I got to tell you is the stretch of road that we took was the snowiest, worst stretch of road, one of the worst stretches of road in the UP. And uh, I mean, not only was it bad and snowing, they would close this portion of road sometimes. That's how much blowing and the snow was just all over the place. And then we have to think about the deer, and there's so many deer. And one, true story, this, you usually don't worry about deer when you're coming through a big incline and there's a guardrail going all the way down, right? This deer comes jumping over the guardrail and slams right into the side of my truck, took the mirror clean off of it. And I'm like, are you kidding? So, so we didn't really care for that drive. We thought, we thought it would be way better and easier on our vehicles if we moved. So if we moved closer to the church. So we thought, you know, hey, that's a good plan. But as in any life change, uh, the first thing you have to do, right, is you have to commit to the decision that you're making. 
You have to be in it. Otherwise, why make a plan if you're just halfway thinking about doing it? So, so once we did that, once we decided, yep, this is what we're going to do, we started looking for a house to see what options we had, to see what we wanted to do, to see what we, what we could afford. Then after that, we called our realtor and we said, hey, Paul, you know, we're interested in selling our, our house. So he scheduled, he scheduled an appraisal for us. And uh, we would... We would uh, uh, now thought, okay, we are now in this process because we felt it was the right time. It was the right time for us. And we had told a bunch of people about it now, about what our plans were, that our house would soon be on the market. And our plan was coming together what we thought, uh, did you hear that little squeak in my voice there? Did you hear that? Is that awesome, huh? Okay, and 52 years old, eh, squeak, okay. Um, so we thought our plan was coming together perfectly. We thought, okay, th this is good, we're awesome. For us, this was the proper time the proper time for a life change in our lives. Which brings us to the second portion that I want to talk about. It says, but when in God's plan, the proper time had fully come. After 4,000 years, the time had come. After 4,000 years, it was the perfect time. And this, and this was a time during the Pax Romana. And what that is, is that's, that was a time of Roman peace. It was a time where, where a 200-year period where there was just this, this just amazing peace. And it was the economic prosperity was just throughout the empire. It was an absolute great time to be living. It was calm. It was great. And it spanned all the way from, from England in the north, all the way to Morocco in the south, and to, to Iraq in the east. So it basically extended throughout where all the civilized earth was at that time. It was, it was just an amazing time. And I don't know that it's ever been since. And during that time, the travel and the commerce was possible in a way that had never been, been possible before. It was impossible before this. See, they built these great roads that linked all, the, uh, all these regions together. So it was easy to move from one point to the other. But it was also a time that, that the world had sunk into this, into this moral abyss into this pit, so low that, that even the pagans of the time were looking. They were looking for something more spiritual, and they didn't even know what they were looking for. And spiritual hunger at that time, it was everywhere, and it was evident that it was everywhere. And what more? What more of a perfect time for the coming out of Christ. What more of a perfect time for, for the beginning of the Christian gospel? See, God's timing, God's timing is always perfect. In our situation, in our plan, it took a turn. It took a turn like you wouldn't believe. We were waiting for, we were waiting for the appraisal, for the, for the scheduled appraisal. And during that time, I received a call from a pastor friend of mine that I hadn't heard from in, in years. Didn't hear anything from in years. And he called and he said, hey, um, uh, would you consider being, moving to Wisconsin and being a, a youth pastor at my church? 
And, and now after, again, we were, I was like, I thought that this was it for this while. I'm, I'm super comfortable. And, and after some arguing with God, which, is gonna, which I might add will probably be another sermon I preach. So after arguing with God a lot, we drove to Wisconsin to check out this church. And it was clear. And it was crystal clear. It was so obvious that we weren't moving to Marquette anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. We were moving to Wisconsin, which meant I had to resign my pastoral position. Now, here's why I know that God's timing is always perfect. One weird thing about being in the ministry is that you just don't go and you just don't put up your house for sale without being prepared without about a million questions like, are you leaving the church? Are you... Are, what happened? I thought you liked it here. Don't you like us anymore, Pastor Bob? You know, you start, so, so what you do, you have to, you have to kind of, you don't be quiet about it. You don't stand up on the stage and say, hey, you know what? I'm thinking maybe, maybe God's stirring my spirit a little, so I don't know how long I'm going to be with you. You just don't do that when you're in the ministry. You just don't say, you know, well, there might be a time in the near future, very near future, that I'm not going to be here. So, so, okay, good morning, everybody, and expect them to be on board with you. You just don't do that. You kind of just keep it to yourself, maybe to a small group of people, your family, people you trust. Because if you feel that stirring, if you feel that, that spiritual need to be moving on as a minister, uh, it could be months, it could be years that you would stay there. But in our case... But in our case, we had, already, we had already had that plan. We had already told most of the people that we knew what our motivation was behind selling our house. So we were able to put that house up for sale without having any questions asked. And it was all in God's timing because God's timing is perfect. And it was all in God's timing. And we... Annette and I, we didn't even have a clue. He was setting our timeline. He was revealing to us what he had his plan next for us. And it wasn't even close. It didn't even look like anything that we had thought. And he reveals his timing to us when, when he wants to. When he wants to let you know what you're going to do. And I'm assuming some of us had times, too, that we've done things and we don't even realize the reason that we did this, that we, 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 we had something happen in our lives and then later on we're like, oh, wow, okay, I get it, I get it now. And maybe it's, maybe it's not as, as big and complex as what was, was ours where we're, where we're resigning positions and moving to different states and that. It could be maybe as, as simple as, as when you're waiting for someone to leave the house, right? You're waiting for someone to leave the house or, or maybe those of us with kids, maybe those of us with kids in the winter, you finally get all their gear on, right? Their jackets, their snow pants. Their, you're just putting on that last glove and you're just zipping up the jacket and they say, I have to go to the bathroom. And you're like, oh, are you serious? Or how about, how about if you have that infant and you just get them all and you're tucked them into the car seat and they're sitting there and they're all nice and cozy. You're just ready to put the blanket over the top of the car seat, right? And then they throw up. 
And you're like, so then you have to go and you have to rechange them, clean them off. It's putting your late. Or how about this when your boyfriend or your husband or your girlfriend or your wife decides to get ready, decides to get ready at you when you told them the specific time that you wanted to leave and you in your mind, you left no gray area. We're leaving at this time. And it's like, you should be ready at the door at this time. But they're like, well, let me get my shoes on. You know, you get what I'm saying here? And you're super frustrated. You're so frustrated. You're almost angry and you're driving in the car and if you got young kids they're probably messing around back there and that's when you as a parent get to say this line do I have to pull this car over you know what I'm saying and just as you're doing that you pass by this accident that just happened the cars are still moving and the cars are mangled and you look at that and you think for sure someone has lost their life. There's no way anybody could survive that. And then you think for just that brief moment, that could have been us. If that baby didn't throw up, if my husband or my wife had had their boots on, that would be us in that accident. That would be us. We would be that statistic. Everything Everything is in God's timing, even when we don't understand. Hey, you guys can come up, band. So that brings us to the end here. But when in God's plan, the proper time had fully come, God sent his son. 483 years. 483 years before Christ was on this earth, the prophet Daniel prophesied his coming. And he, here, here's, what he, here's what he prophesied. He said, 70 weeks are decreed. Now, weeks are seven years, all right? So just know that it's not a week, our week of seven days. It's seven years. So 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, the holy city being Jerusalem, to bring the rebellion to an end, to, stop, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity or rec reconciliation, to bring the everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. 25. Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, until the coming of Christ, until the coming of Jesus, will be 70, seven weeks and 62 weeks. You do the math, it's 483 years. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, meaning a city, but in difficult times. There's going to be times of trouble. 26. After those 62 weeks of years, okay, there's 62 weeks of years, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end there will be war, desolation, and war until desolations are decreed or the determined. 
He will make a firm covenant with many for one week or seven years. He will be put he will put a stop to a sacrifice and offering and the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. 483 years before Christ, before this happened. Do you think Daniel at that time understood do you think he understood what he was prophesying? Do you think he knew that God was going to wait almost 500 years to send Christ? To send Christ so, so we can celebrate Christmas? To send Christ so we can celebrate his birth? To send Christ so, so we can experience that comfort and joy in our times of need? So we can experience that comfort and joy in our times of struggle. So we can experience that comfort and joy when we are so overwhelmed with life. So we can experience that comfort and joy when we can't see our future. Our series, our series theme this month is comfort and joy. And I don't know I don't know about you, but when I, hear, when I hear comfort and joy, I think of the song, um, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, right? I mean, that, that's what I think. So, so what I ask is I ask Pastor Matt here just to sing the first verse of that. So he's just going to sing that for us real quick. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Wasn't that awesome? Um, so I researched this song online. What, what, is it, what is it really about? And what I found was, was pretty fascinating. So I just put some bullet points here of what this song was about. Now, in the, in the 15th the song was written in the 15th century by an unknown writer. But the, uh, this unknown writer clearly knew, clearly knew the gospel, gospel very, very well. Because if you read or if you sang the rest of this song, the whole gospel is found in this thing, in all this carol, in the, this carol's verses. And during that time, the, during this Victorian era, the clergy were teaching this song to everybody. And that's when this song spread. It spread over to, to uh, uh, Europe and it spread across the ocean to America. And still, still since the 15th century, this song has still sung in pretty much the same exact way that it was written. But what we don't know and what few people know and understand is, is what this, the beginning of this song was really about. And that's because back when it was written, the English language was, was, 
it's not what it is now. So words back then didn't mean what they are now. Nowadays, the modern people, we think of, of like a Merry Christmas as the word is, is happy. Have a happy Christmas. Have a hop, happy holiday if you're, if you're uh, politically correct. Um, but Merry means happy. But when, when this song was written... When God rest ye merry, gentlemen, was written, Mary had a very different meaning. Robin Hood's, Robin Hood's merry men, you know, they may have been happy, but what Mary really meant was, was, was mighty, was great, was mighty. And in the Middle Ages, a strong army was a merry army. A great singer was a merry singer. And a, a a mighty ruler was a merry ruler. So when the, when the English carolers sang uh, merry gentlemen, they meant great or mighty men. That's what they meant. They didn't mean happy. And then if we look at the word ye, ye means you. But when translated, if we translated that and it said, God rest you merry gentlemen, it still doesn't really make much sense, Right? So, so this is due to, to uh, lost punctuation <laughs> and, uh, uh, and today's language. So if we, look at, if we look at the word rest, okay, God rest ye merry gentlemen, it simply may, mean, rest means uh, to keep or make. Did you hear my voice again? What? <clears throat> to, to keep or make. So, so we have to, so rest means that. Therefore, in modern English, the first line of God, rest ye merry gentlemen, should read, God make you mighty gentlemen. And using this translation, okay, this translation, in my mind, it makes more sense. Now, the meaning of, com of comfort and joy is actually what, what is the Holy Spirit inside us. That's the comfort and joy. And when we have this Holy Spirit inside us, that's what brings us this comfort and joy. Isn't that interesting about that song? I thought it was interesting, and maybe you didn't want a history lesson today or uh, whatever, but too bad you got it anyway. I just find that stuff really fascinating. But know this, that God has a plan for your life. And that plan, like in, in uh, my story I just told, may not look like anything that you think it should look like. And it may seem like nothing's happening, it may seem like it's the same old, same old, same old, but we have to be reminded that 500 years, 483 years after Daniel prophesied, Christ came. So what you may be waiting for for 10 years is nothing, but we have to be reminded that it is in God's perfect timing. That God sent His Son, the Messiah, the anointed one. And it's God's plan. It's God's plan for us to have relationship with him, to take comfort in him, to experience joy with him. See, Christmas time should, should be a time of, of laughter. 
Christmas time should be a time spent with family, a time spent with friends. It should be a time reflecting in joy. It should be a time reflecting in thanksgiving. It should be a time of just refreshing. Getting to know the Savior, to celebrate His birth. So rest. Rest in this comfort and joy that our Creator gave to us. Rest this Christmas, this year, in the arms of Jesus Christ.